Take your Bibles for the next few moments. Let's look in the Gospel of Luke. I am going to be in chapter number 11 some, but for time's sake, I want to just begin by reading the first three verses of chapter number 12. Would you join me in standing as you find your place in the Word of God? I'm glad I've got a Bible today, amen? Now, I blame long-winded preaching on an uninvolved audience, all right? So if you'll just, if you'll get with me, we'll, we'll get to preaching, and I'll, I promise you this, I'll do my best to preach fast. If you'll make me a deal and you'll listen fast and kind of be attentive, and uh, let's just listen and open up our hearts to what God has to say to us this morning, all right? Luke chapter number 12, let's begin by reading the first three verses. I know what I'm, I'm doing is kind of disappointing in a sense, but hopefully we'll come full circle. I hate when someone tells me the end of the movie before I get there. Anybody with me this morning? I hate that. I'm going to kind of give you the end of the movie, all right? I'm going to give you the end of the story, how we land there, and then we'll get to how we got there throughout the course of the message this morning. If you found your place, say amen. Luke chapter number 12, verse 1 through 3. In the meantime... When there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, First of all, beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light. That which ye have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Our Father, we love you. God, we're so thankful to be in your house today. I am thankful for this, thy people that have gathered themselves together in this place. Lord, I ask you in the next few moments that you would take control of my body, take control of my mind, take control of my mouth and help me to say everything that ought to be said and needs to be said in this place and help me to not say anything that need not be said and spoken in this place. I thank you for this good church and Lord I thank you for this good pastor that labors here in this area. Lord I ask you that it would be a beacon and a lighthouse in this community that souls would be saved. God most of all that you would be uplifted, magnified and glorified in this place. Or that's all that we want to do today. We don't want to make a name for ourselves. We don't want to make a name for this church. Lord, it's certainly not about me standing in this pulpit today. But help our focus to be upon you today. And that you might get honor and glory out of all that is said and done in this place. It's in the name of Jesus Christ our Savior we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you. You may be seated this morning. I've always loved what we call, quote-unquote, magic. I like to watch the illusions as they take place. I like to try to figure out how the magician performs the illusion and how he made you think something happened that did not really happen. Probably one of my greatest joys is watching a magician or an illusionist perform what is called the disappearing act, or something is there before your eyes, it's there in your presence sometimes, and almost just like with the snap of a finger, it disappears and vanishes. And then sometimes if the magician is really, really good, he'll make that object to reappear again. I was called up one evening for an illusionist to 
uh, take a my wedding ring, and he made that thing disappear, and I thought, Lord, have mercy, I hope he can make it appear again. And thankfully, he made that appear again, and it's on my finger, and I couldn't do that trick today because that was many cheeseburgers ago. Somebody give me a witness. That's just, we got to stay married. It's stuck on there. It won't come off. We live in a day of convenience Christianity today. We live in a day where folks want to act like the world, supposedly even church-going people, people who claim the title Christian, people who say they have been saved by the grace and the mercy of an almighty God, and yet they have disappearing acts in their lives. They act like the world when it's convenient to act like the world, and they act like a Christian when it's convenient for them to act like a Christian. It's almost like that magician. Now you see it, and now you don't. Here it is, and then it vanishes, and I can make it reappear at my convenience. That's the way that a lot of Christianity, so-called Christianity, is today. And that is the world that we live in. We can adapt to our surroundings. We can sound like uh, uh, having the vernacular of a Christian if that's what we need to be. If we're in the right company, if we're around the right people, we know the lingo, we know how to walk, we know how to talk, we know how to act. But when we get around our friends and the world and the people that really consume the majority of our time, then we look just like they do and we act just like they do. The Bible term for that is Phariseeism. It's what we have in our day and hour. With God's help for the next few moments, I want to preach on this subject. Listen closely. Now you see it. Now you don't. Now you see it. Now you don't. In verse number, or in chapter number 12, rather, in verses number 1 through 3, uh, we're we're given here a, a landing point. The results of something that has transpired. What we end with after an amount of time has expired. For the next few moments, I want to try to build up to that and get back to that this evening. But there's a few things that I see in our text and begin. We've got to go back to chapter number 11 and verse number 38. So if you have your Bibles, go back with me to Luke chapter number 11 and verse number 38. And here's where we begin the narrative that leads us to chapter number 12 and verses number 1 through 3. The first thing that I'd have you to notice if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to see that there are some irrelevant concerns. If we look at chapter number 11, look at verse number 38 with me if you would. Luke chapter number 11 and verse number 38. Watch the concern here. There are some irrelevant concerns. And when the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. And the Lord said unto him, Now do ye Pharisees make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, But your inward part is full of ravening and wickedness. Ye fools, did not he that made that which is without make that which is within also? But rather give alms of such things as ye have, and behold, all things are clean unto you. But woe unto you, Pharisees, for ye tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs, and pass over judgment and the love of God. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. Woe unto you, Pharisees, for ye love the uppermost seats of the synagogue and greetings in the markets. Here's a series of woes by the Lord, and there's more to come. Now that word woe is is a very pivotal word in the text because it's there to instruct them that something is wrong. Is everybody with me today? Woe, hold on just a minute. Woe, there's danger that is ahead. 
That's really how we got to the term that we use today. If I saw one of my children out playing near the road in a big semi-tractor trailer, what would you say? Whoa, stop. There's danger that's coming. Don't go in that direction. Don't continue in that avenue. And that's what the Lord Jesus is doing here. Stop. Think about what you're doing. Whoa, there's danger that's ahead. He's speaking here to the Pharisees. Notice the word that he calls them. I, I believe this. Look this way for a moment. I believe that Jesus wasn't too concerned with political correctness today. Because he looked them in their God-given eyeballs and he said, You hypocrites. You're nothing but a group of hypocrites. But their concern is this. That the Lord Jesus is beginning to eat and His disciples are beginning to eat with hands that have not been washed. I get asked this all the time, so let me just clear it up. Jesus is not validating uncleanliness here, alright? That's not what He's doing. He's not saying it's okay to be unclean. Not at all what He's saying. He's proving a point here. And the point is this, is that while they have a concern of His hands not being clean, they ought to have a greater concern because their hearts aren't clean. Anybody with me this morning? He compares them to having clean outward outwardness and having a very dirty and filthy inwardness. I thought about this. People in their lives, listen to me closely, they have a world realm and they have a church realm. Right? I mean, they have how they are around the world and their workplaces. preaching to you from the heart of a pastor. I've been pastoring or trying to pastor Baptist for 20 years now. And I'm kind of in between places right now for the first time in my ministry and God is, is speaking and I'm doing my best to listen to Him. But for the most part I've been on staff for pastoring in Baptist churches for 20 years. And here's what amazes me. The amount of people who don't really care what reality is, they really only care what it looks like. In their church realm, the concern that they have is appearance. They're the ones that volunteer when the church folks are around, when there's a meeting, and say, yeah, I'll do this, I'll be involved, but when come time to do it, you can't find them with an FBI search warrant. Not concerned about what reality is, not concerned about laboring or loving the Lord or loving the Master, just about what it looks like. And I tell you this morning, God knows who you really are. God knows what you really are. In, the, in folks' church realm, it, it's about appearance. Letter B, it's about attention. Look back at verse number 43 with me. He said, Woe unto you, Pharisees, for ye love the uppermost seats in the synagogues. That position of authority. Not only appearance, but attention. What kind of attention can you get? When you make it about yourself and you stop making it about the Lord Jesus Christ. If it has to be about you and you get your feelings hurt when your name doesn't get mentioned, there's something wrong somewhere. I, I don't mean to be uh, rude and hateful this morning, but I want to just shoot straight with you. It's never been about you and me anyway. 
It's about the advancement of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we make it about you, then everybody might as well worship you. If we want to make it about me, then everybody might as well worship me. But the last time I checked, I'm not the central figure and the central theme of this book. It is the Lord Jesus Christ whom ought to be exalted and glorified and praised in this place. Amen. The attention ought to be on Him. Should we not, for the few moments that we come into this building, set the concerns of the world aside and just focus on Jesus? The problems that we have, should we not just set them aside and put them in His hands? They have some irrelevant concerns. For a lot of people, it's about appearance, it's about attention, it's about applause. The last part of verse number 33, He said, "In greetings in the markets. I am here this morning preaching to a lot of people in Lexington, Alabama. But I want you to know this morning that my concern is not to please this audience here. My concern is to please an audience of one. If nobody claps and nobody applauds, that's all right. As long as he is pleased upon the throne. I'm afraid we're living in a day and hour where a lot of folks have a lot of irrelevant concerns. Why aren't we doing it this way? Why can't we do it that way? Why are we changing the way we've always done it? Irrelevant concerns. If God is pleased, that's all that matters. Number two, not only in our text do we see some irrelevant concerns. Listen closely. Walk through the text with me. Number two, we see some, an individual confrontation. Not only are there irrelevant concerns, but there's an individual confrontation. Look at verse number 45 with me. Let's look at it together. Then answered one of the lawyers and said unto him, Master, thus saying, Thou reproachest us also. Time out. Let's, let's, just, let's just look at this real quick. He's speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees, and he's called them hypocrites, right? You're all a bunch of hypocrites. And then he explains why they're hypocrites, and then of all professions, a lawyer speaks up. No offense if there's any lawyers in here. All right, My brother's a lawyer. I love lawyers, okay? I may need a lawyer one day. I hope not, but I might. But a lawyer speaks up and he says, if you're saying that about them, then you're saying that about us too. He gets offended. This lawyer gets offended by the words of the Savior. Keep on going. Verse number 46, or verse 47 rather. Woe unto you, for ye build the sepulchres of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. Truly bear witness, truly ye bear witness that ye allow the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them, and ye build their sepulchres. We have some irrelevant concerns, but then we have an individual confrontation. I'm glad we serve a God this morning. Is anybody with me in the house of the Lord today that will confront us individually? Yes, we meet Him corporately, but He deals with us as individuals. It's a case-by-case -case situation. He's not judging me based on your misdeeds and your malfunctions. He's not judging me based on what you do and what you don't do. But me, myself, and I individually will stand before the throne of God one day and give an account for how I served Him. <laughs> That's why I've never understood this, this church moniker that, that seemed to be so popular. Well, I can't go there anywhere because this person hurt my feelings and that person hurt my feelings. Praise God, Walmart hurts my feelings every time I go to the checkout. Anybody with me? That I still go to Walmart. I get my feelings hurt. They're Kroger's, they hurt my feelings every time I go there, but I still go Kroger and somebody give me a witness this morning. That excuse only works at the church, though. 
I can't go back there. They hurt my feelings. And, and this is what I always tell people. Well, they're going to stand before God themselves. And you're going to stand before God yourself. So don't worry about what this person or that person or sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so, Mr. Self-Righteous and Sister Come Lately, don't worry about what they're doing this morning. Anybody with me? Worry about yourself and how you can please God better because there's an individual confrontation that's there. And I know this. I know from preaching to people for 20 years, people get angry at the truth. Amen. Never really understood that. People get angry at the preacher man. He's just the messenger. Have you ever once gotten a high electric bill in the mail and chased the mailman down the road to try to beat him up? <laughs> Have you? Why in the world would you get mad at the preacher man? That's standing behind the sacred desk telling you not his opinion, but what God has already said. If, if your feelings get hurt at the Bible, the problem's with you, not with the Bible. Amen. It's not God that needs to get right. It's us that needs to get right. It's not God that needs to make a move. It's us that needs to make a move advancing closer to God. It's with us. It's not in Him. Folks get angry. They get mad. Verse number 46, I see some people get angry when they're confronted with their carelessness. Watch back at verse 46. Watch what he said. He said, Woe unto you also, ye lawyers. Remember, here's the one that got upset because if you're talking about them, you're talking about me too. If what they do is wrong, then you're saying I'm wrong. And I've got a real problem with that because I'm not wrong. Yes, we are wrong a lot of times. I know some of us hear that for the first time. I've been blessed to be married to a woman for over 20 years. She tells me all the time, You are wrong. I'm used to being wrong. He said, Woe well, unto you also, you lawyers. Listen, for you laid men with burdens, grievous to be born, and ye yourselves touch not the burdens with one of your fingers. Talking right to them. You're all worried and hopped up on what everybody else ought to be doing. In fact, you instruct them to do it, but when it comes time for the doing, you're nowhere to be found. You won't even lift one finger. To help bear the burden. You know what that is? That's carelessness. Carelessness. Some of the angriest people that I've ever seen in churches is when I've had to sit down with them in private and tell them, you're dropping the ball spiritually. Your family is suffering because of your carelessness in your spiritual activity. You're sending the wrong message to your wife and your children. And do they receive that as it is the Word of God? No, they don't. They just get angry when they're confronted with carelessness. That's what happens with this lawyer. He's angry when he's confronted with his carelessness. People get angry also when they're confronted with the cost. Look at verses 47. Actually, look at verse number 48. He said, Truly ye bear witness that ye allow the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them, that ye built, and ye build their sepulchres. Continue, verse 49. Therefore also, said, therefore also said the wisdom of God, I will send them prophets and apostles and some of them. They shall slay and persecute, that the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation. From the blood of Abel and to the blood of Zacharias, which perished between the altar and the temple, verily I say unto you, it shall be required of this generation. What a cost! <laughs> 
what a cost. Can I ask you this morning, do you really think that we as a society can fly under God's radar? Do we? That's how we act. As long as we can fool the pastor, as long as we can fool the deacons, as long as we can fool our fellow church members, that's all we really seem to be concerned about. There's a cost, though. Some people, their lack of faithfulness to God has cost them their family. Some people, their lack of faithfulness to God has cost them their testimony. You say, what's my cost going to be? I can't answer that for you. But I do know this, there's a cost to disobedience. Amen? We're going to, we're going to close with that in just a moment. F folks get angry when they're, when they're confronted with their carelessness, when they're, when they're confronted with their costs, but then what about their casualties? Verse number 52, watch your Bibles. Woe unto you, lawyers, for ye have taken away the key of knowledge. <laughs> ye enter not in yourselves, listen to this phrase, and them that were entering in ye hindered. Here's the key of knowledge, here's what it's all about. You don't want any part of it yourselves, and that's bad enough. But here's the worst part. Those that do want part of it, you want to stop them from partaking and entering in. I love, I love to see that youth group on the screen while ago. The youth activities and youth groups, that's a wonderful thing. A whole lot of these years in the ministry that God has allowed me to serve Him has been spent working and dealing with youth and young people. And what, let me tell you what I found. Listen to me very closely. Mamas and daddies get really thrilled. I'm talking about unchurched mamas and daddies. Are you listening to me today? Unchurched mamas and daddies. We'd go pick up kids left and right and bring them to the church house on Wednesday night and feed them physically and spiritually and take them back home. And I found this, that mamas and daddies, unchurched mamas and daddies, loved that, not only because it was a babysitter, but they felt like it was a good thing that their kids got a little bit of Jesus. But the problem came when their kids became more spiritual than they were. Anybody listening to me in the house of God? I'm talking about casualties, and here's what happened. Nine times out of ten, mama and daddy didn't get in church themselves and get closer to God. Here's what they did. Listen to me. They pulled the kids out of the church youth group. They were okay with them having a little bit of Jesus. Just enough for them to act right in school. Is anybody picking up what I'm putting down? Just enough where they didn't get expelled from school. That's how much of Jesus they wanted their kids to have. But when that kid wanted to start coming to the revival meetings. You with me? When that child wanted to start reading their Bible and praying and get closer to God. All of a sudden, we got to put a stop to this. And I'm going to tell you what happened. Those children became casualties. Casualties. Folks get angry when you remind them that there's a price to pay and that their sin does not only affect them, but it affects those that are around them. Let me close. Let me, let me try to wrap this up. In our text today, I see some irrelevant concerns. Number two, there's an individual confrontation. Let's close with this. Number three, there is an inevitable consequence. There's an inevitable consequence. And we go back to where we began. Chapter number 12, verses 1 through 3. 
I love to sing that song, What a Day That Will Be. You know the words, there is coming a day when no heartache shall come. No more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day that will be. And I love that because I'm a believer. I mean, I'm, I trusted Christ as my Savior a long time ago and been trying to walk this highway serving Him for a lot of years. And I love to think about what a day that's going to be. But let me remind you of another day that is coming. Wherefore it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. You see, the saved man, woman, boy, or girl can sing what a day that will be and have rejoicing in their heart. Because that's the day that they, may, that they will meet their maker, meet their redeemer and their savior and their king that has returned for them. But what about the other side of the coin? What about the other end of the table? When Christ raptures the church out of this world and those that are left behind who have not trusted Him as Lord and Savior, there's a day coming for them as well. Everybody wants to run around, God is love, God is love. What kind of God would do that? Yes, God is love. He is the embodiment of love. He's the definition of love. But for God to be a God of love, are you listening to me? He also has to be a God of judgment. He has to be a God of righteousness. He must be a God who keeps His word. That's who He is today. He's a sovereign, righteous, thrice holy God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you that there's coming a day if, you're, if you have not been bought with the price of the precious blood of Jesus Christ that He shed upon the cross of Calvary, there's a day coming for you as well. What about those that are in the church but they're hypocrites? They're, I, I call them hypocristians. There's a day coming. What is it, Brother Brandon? Well, glad you asked. Let me close real quick. There's a day that's coming when who you really are won't be delayed. When who and what you really are will not be delayed. At home sometimes when it comes to things done around the house, I can be a procrastinator if I'm honest, alright? I can put things off. There's trash in the bin right now. My wife said trash needs to go out and I'm going to make my son do it as soon as we get home from church today, alright? I try to put things off sometimes. There's a day that's coming, though, that won't be delayed. You won't put it off. It's not going to be on your schedule. It's not going to be on your terms. There's a day that's coming not only won't be delayed, but there's a day that's coming that won't be darkened. Look at what he said in verse number 2 of chapter number 12 again. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever you have spoken, listen, in darkness shall be heard, what? In the light there's a day that's coming when who and what you really are won't be delayed it won't be darkened but it won't be deafened listen to the last part of verse number 3 and that which ye have spoken 
in the ear and closet shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. See, it's a game right now. Because on the confines, in the, in the inner confines of your heart, you have to be quiet about who you really are. What you really are. It can't be shown in the light, it's got to be hid in the dark. It's got to be kept back in the recesses of the confines of your being because if anybody knew who you really are, I'm talking about at the church house, they wouldn't think you were such a special individual. Listen to me, I learned a long time ago there's not one good thing about Brandon Smith. The only good thing about Brandon Smith is the God who lives inside his heart. Is anybody listening to me today? And it's just a game to try to keep it hid in the dark and to try to keep it hushed and deafened. But at the judgment seat of Christ, you will stand before Him in awe and wonder of who He is with your head bowed low. And while you may have had everybody in the church house fooled, you won't have him fooled on that day. What you've tried to hide will be revealed. What you've tried to hush will resound throughout the heavens. Because that's what you really are. You've lived your life with a now you see it. Now you don't Christianity. It's as easy for you, it has become so easy for you to act spiritual, it's just as easy as flipping that light switch on and off. But God knows who you really are. And He loves you the same. I love that, don't you? He doesn't love me with how because I'm so good. That's not why He loves me. He loves me because He knew I was so wretched God commended His love toward us and that while we were the best citizen we could be in the whole world, He gave His life for us. Is that what it says? No. Must be having a different Bible than what I've got. But God commendeth His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. We're going to come off for a verse or two of invitation this morning. Let's stand to our feet all over the auditorium. Do you have a now you see it, now you don't type of Christianity? Maybe you just need to come and find bend the knee in this altar and say, Lord, help me to surrender and completely live my life for you, for your glory, for your kingdom. May you be pleased with the life that you've given me. As they begin to sing this morning, if you need to come, would you come right now? Would you step out of your seat whenever y'all are ready?